enable us to uh, trust in Jesus more deeply, love him more fully, serve him more faithfully. Uh, Father, we give you thanks and praise in his name. Amen. In John's Gospel, there are three resurrection stories, and each one of these resurrection stories focuses on Jesus interacting with a different character. On Easter Sunday, he interacts with Mary Magdalene to overcome her despair. On the following Sunday, he addresses Thomas and his doubts. And then in this story we've read this morning, his third appearance, he meets with Peter to overcome his distress. So you have Mary, Thomas, and Peter. You have despair, doubt, and distress. Mary was in despair because she thought her Lord was dead and his body stolen. Uh, He turned her despair to joy by appearing to her in the garden as a victorious new Adam. Thomas was doubting because he had not yet seen the risen Jesus with his own eyes. Jesus dispelled those doubts by showing Thomas the crucifixion wounds in his resurrection flesh, showing Thomas that he is God in the flesh, that he is the Word made flesh, that he is the one in whom we behold God's glory. Peter was distressed because he had failed Jesus on the night of the crucifixion. On that night, Peter denied even knowing Jesus three times. And this was after he had boasted he would stand firm. Uh, that he would serve Jesus faithfully, uh, even to the end, no matter what, no matter what it cost him. Peter was humiliated, he was broken, he was guilty, he was ashamed, uh, he felt worthless, he had wrecked his life. Peter figured there was no hope for him. Uh, He had made a fool of himself, he had crumbled in the most important moment of his life, he had failed the great test, Uh, he had caved in, he was weak, He was a failure, he was hopeless, he was despondent. What do you do when you've messed up? What do you do when you know you've blown it, when you fail at something, when it seems you are broken beyond repair? Uh, How do you deal with those times when you feel like you've blown it so bad you could never move forward again? How do you deal with shame and guilt? What this story shows us is that we are never too far gone. We are never without hope. We are never stuck. Jesus has a way of dealing with our guilt, our shame, our dejection, our failure. Whatever is broken, Jesus can fix. Whatever you've stained, Jesus can wash. Whatever mess you've made, Jesus can clean it up. Peter shows us that. After his great failure in denying Jesus three times, Peter did the only thing he knew to do, really the only thing left to do. Uh, He had failed as a disciple of Jesus, so he decides to go back to his former life as a fisherman. But look at what happens. He fails at that too. They go fishing that night, and they catch nothing. And and this has got to be embarrassing as well. Peter's a pro. He's a professional fisherman. And he comes up empty-handed. When I go fishing, I usually seem to come up empty-handed as well, but it's not that big a deal uh, because I'm not a professional fisherman. You know, the fish are safe when I go out there. Shouldn't have been that way with Peter. Uh, He should have been able to catch some fish, but he doesn't. Jesus is on the beach that next morning, and he calls out to them. And in doing so, he exposes their failure. 
He exposes their failure by asking if they've caught anything, almost a, a, a taunting question. But then he tells them to cast their net on the other side of the boat. And suddenly they bring in a great haul of fish, this massive catch, and it is obviously a miracle. And in that moment, Peter realizes this is the Lord. This is the Lord on the beach calling out to them. And Peter knows this because Peter has experienced this sort of thing before. This is not the first time Peter's found himself in this kind of situation. Back in Luke chapter 5, the first time Peter meets Jesus, he also fails as a fisherman and ends up feeling guilty and ashamed and fearful. It's just like in John 21. Uh, in Luke 5, they've been fishing all night. They had caught nothing. Jesus tells them where to lower the net and they do so, and they, they, they catch this huge quantity of fish. They, 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 they have this huge catch of fish. And in that moment in Luke chapter 5, uh, Peter comes to realize Jesus' gratefulness, and in that same moment becomes ashamed of his sinfulness. And so he tells Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But Jesus tells Peter to not fear that he will make him a fisher of men. Jesus doesn't go away. Instead, he invites Peter to come with him. He tells Peter, don't be afraid. He says to Peter, I have a mission for you. And it's the same kind of thing here in John 21. Peter is, again, ashamed and fearful. He realizes Jesus' greatness, and he sees his own sinfulness. But once again, Jesus works to bless Peter, to drive his fears away. Jesus is going to restore Peter to his work, to his mission. He doesn't describe it this time in terms of being a fisher of men, but he describes it in terms of tending to Christ's sheep, uh, uh, feeding his lambs. Jesus doesn't let uh, Peter's shame get in the way of calling him to do a great work. When Peter realizes it's the Lord on the shoreline, he jumps in the water and swims to Jesus. And the others come in the boat uh, right behind him, bringing in this huge haul of fish. And Jesus then tells them to bring some of the fish to him. And Jesus feeds them breakfast. And at this point, uh, the whole story really comes to focus on Peter's restoration. Again, we know how Peter sinned, how he denied Jesus three times the night Jesus was betrayed. Jesus will forgive him, uh, even though Peter has, has been a failure. Jesus will restore him. Peter's brokenness is manifest, but Jesus is going to fix him. Peter is empty, but Jesus is going to fill him. See, at this point, it, it wasn't wrong, of course, for Peter to have feelings of guilt or shame or brokenness. He really had messed up. Guilt and shame are painful, but they are a, a necessary pain in our lives. It's like if you stub your toe, that hurts. And that physical pain is your body's way of saying, don't do that. Don't do that again. If you didn't feel that kind of physical pain when you stub your toe, if you couldn't feel physical pain when something harmful happened to your body, then something even worse might happen to you. You wouldn't have any way of protecting yourself against it. That pain is a helpful mechanism. If you didn't have that pain, you could severely damage your body without even knowing it. So the pain is a helpful indicator that something is wrong. Well, guilt and shame are something like that. 
Yes, they are painful, but it is a necessary kind of pain. It can even be a helpful kind of pain. Guilt and shame are your conscience's way of telling you, don't live that way. This is a harmful thing to do. This is a terrible, destructive way to live. You're harming yourself when you do these kinds of things. And of course, if your conscience doesn't register pain when you've done something wrong, well, then that's a bad sign. It means you might end up doing something even worse to yourself. Uh, to destroy yourself in some way. But there is a lot more to dealing with guilt and shame than just that, than just recognizing the legitimacy of these feelings as the mechanism of our conscience to warn us, don't do this. Jesus does not want Peter, or any of us for that matter, to wallow in our guilt and shame. Feelings of guilt and shame are, yes, a necessary part of the Christian life, but they are not a defining feature of the Christian life. And so Jesus acts here to restore Peter, to drive away those fears, to to, to deal with his shame and guilt, to move him from shame uh, to joy, to move him from guilt to freedom. When Peter denied Jesus, it was like letting the air out of the tires of a car. If any one of you, you know, your car is here, if you had a flat tire, you wouldn't be able to go anywhere. You have to fill the tire back up first. If you let the air out of the tires, it means your car cannot fulfill its mission of getting you from point A to point B. Well, so it is with Peter. When he denies Jesus, when he sins, he's let the air out of his tires. But Jesus meets Peter here so he can refill Peter's tires, as it were, to get him moving again, to to get him rolling again, to get him moving forward so he can fulfill the mission that Christ has given to him. Peter hungers, but not just for a breakfast of fish and bread. Peter hungers for love. He hungers for forgiveness, for assurance, for acceptance. And Jesus is going to satisfy those hungers. And of course, what Jesus does for Peter here, he does for each of us. Jesus fills Peter's hunger. He fills Peter's emptiness so Peter can move forward in hope and in joy. Now, there are a couple things here to catch that really show us this, show us what's going on here. When they come on land with, uh, with Jesus, when they come on land to be with Jesus, we find that Jesus has built for them a fire of coals. Now, I've been uh, described as something of a pyromaniac myself. I love to build fires, love to sit around the fire and, and watch the coals, uh, love to do that kind of thing. Uh, fires attract, don't they? Probably a lot of us like that kind of thing. The, the warmth and the light draw us in. C.S. Lewis once asked the question, is there any pleasure greater than a circle of Christian friends around a fire? And I would say, no, of course not. That, that, that's, a, that's a glorious pleasure. And how much better if one of those friends around the fire is not just another Christian, but Christ himself. And that's what you have here. Christ, the friend of sinners. Christ gathering his friends around the fire. It's a beautiful picture. But there's a key detail in verse 9 that really indicates what's happening here and how this is restorative for Peter. There's a special word used here to describe the kind of fire Jesus started for them on the beach. It's called a a fire of coals or a charcoal fire. Different translations handle it different ways, but it's, it's called something like that. 
But this is not the first charcoal fire in John's gospel. It's not the first fire of coals in John's gospel. Back in chapter 18, there was another charcoal fire. Another fire of coals. And just as Peter uh, is gathered here around a charcoal fire in John 21, so he gathered around that charcoal fire in chapter 18. But there's a difference. In chapter 18, as Peter was warming himself around the charcoal fire, what did he do? That's where he denied Jesus three times, even swearing an oath. I've never known this man. He's around the charcoal fire when he denies Jesus three times. What happens around this fire? He confesses Jesus three times. He confesses his love for Jesus three times. And this is the other thing to notice here, and it's a very obvious connection John wants us to make. You see this in verses 15 to 19. Peter had denied Jesus three times. Three times Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter answers, confessing his love for Jesus. And each time Jesus reaffirms Peter in his mission, in his apostolic calling, as he commands Peter, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep. See, Peter had denied Jesus around a charcoal fire. And here he confesses his love for Jesus around a charcoal fire. Peter had failed in his mission. He had failed as an apostle around a fire. Now he is restored to his mission. And he's commissioned as an apostle around a fire. Peter was hungry for love and for community and for acceptance in John 18. And so he denied Jesus. He denied Jesus earlier because he wanted so badly to fit in, to fit in with a crowd that was around the fire. But at this fire, Jesus is going to truly fulfill Peter's hunger for love, his hunger for acceptance by feeding him. And he's going to fit Peter back into the community of his church as an apostle with a mission to carry out. And Jesus does this around the fire. You know, sometimes in life, God gives us a do-over. God is the God of second chances and fresh starts. And sometimes God gives us a do-over. You know, we, we fail in some situation and it stings and we feel ashamed because of it. We feel guilty for what we've done. But then God puts us back in that same situation so we get another shot at it. And that's really what's happening here. Jesus is giving Peter a fresh start. Hey, you denied me three times around a fire. Let me let you confess your love for me three times around a fire. And God will do the same kind of thing with us. You know, you have a situation, say if you're a parent with your kids and you lose it with your kids one day and, and, and you, know, you caved in uh, to anger and to impatience in dealing with your kids and you feel ashamed of that. But a few days later, God puts you in the same situation and you get another chance to do it better, to show that you are growing in your love for Jesus and and, and carrying out your mission that he's given to you. Or, you know, maybe you kids, you get into an argument with one of your siblings or a fight with one of your siblings and then you feel guilty about that and you're disciplined for that. But then a few days later, you get another chance. You're put in that same situation and it's a chance to show that you're growing, that you're moving forward. See, you never need to wallow in feelings of shame or guilt as a Christian. Those feelings are necessary, but they don't have to be lasting. Those feelings don't have to be anything more than momentary. 
just as we confess our sins in the liturgy and then move on to other things. Those feelings flee away as soon as you remember all that the risen Jesus does for you. He forgives you, and he keeps on forgiving you every time you need it. Uh, You never have to go hungry for love again because Jesus fills you with himself when you come to this table and, and you feast upon the bread and the wine. You never have to feel worthless or broken or defeated or stuck, at least not for long. You're not stuck because Jesus empowers you to do the work he's given you to do with gladness and singleness of heart. You're not stuck because his grace always breaks you free. It gets you unstuck. There's no sinful rut you can get into that's so deep he can't pull you out. And he will pull you out. And this is why the Christian life is ultimately one of joy. It's a life of joy. Joy that is dominant over these feelings of fear and guilt and shame. Again, the guilt and shame are going to be there. We Christians, you know, if anything, we're far more sensitive to our sin, far more likely to feel guilt and shame because we're the ones who really know the depth of what God and his law requires of us. And indeed, the more we grow as Christians, the more sensitive we become to our own sin, the more aware of our own sin we become. But at the same time, we have far more to rejoice in. We rejoice in forgiveness because God's mercies are new to us every morning. We rejoice because his power transforms us. We rejoice because he continually restores us so we can carry out the mission he's given us to do, loving him and serving others. We rejoice because our despair, our doubts, our distress are always displaced by the faithful presence of Jesus in our lives. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.